Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. So Tottenham have agreed an initial loan deal for RB Leipzig's Timo Werner, a player who, it's fair to say, was a disappointment at Chelsea. He's kept it out. He has certainly done that. Timo Werner cannot believe what's just happened. But if the German international fits the profile and style Spurs are looking for, can Ange Postacoglu be the one to unlock his potential? I'm Adam Leventhal. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Well, joining me, the Athletics Spurs writer Jack Pitt-Brook, Liam Toomey, who was one of our Chelsea writers, was there to witness Werner's time at Stamford Bridge and Seb Stafford-Bloor, who writes about football across Europe, in particular Germany, which is where he resides. And he's a Tottenham fan, so he ticks all the boxes. He covers all the bases. Jack, let's start with you in terms of this deal, the loan deal from Leipzig to Spurs. Where are we on it at time of recording? So right now, I think it's just down to fine details. Um, it moved pretty quickly over the weekend. This has not really been heralded before. I don't think anybody knew much about it until Saturday morning. Clearly, Postacoglu had said that he wanted to get players in early. I wasn't expecting Spurs to get in anyone this early. But it does sound right now as if it will happen over the course of this week and then he'll be be ready to play for Spurs soon enough. And there seemingly is an option to buy what are the details of that because i guess we're probably viewing this as a, a quite a low risk um situation for spurs but you never know it might turn out well and they might want to keep it well that, that's the interesting thing isn't it i think everybody sees this as a i mean you could look at it as a half season thing or you could just say frankly it's the next six weeks while son's away on international duty that they are going to need Werner the most so I don't know what their plans would be beyond next se- beyond this season. But if he does happen to score goals, then I think the case will become quite strong for Tottenham to keep him in the building. And the feeling is that this is this is an Ange signing backed by the, the new structure, right? Yeah, I think it's something that Ange has pushed for. Um, you can see how he would fit into Ange's style of play. I think that Ange might back himself to kind of bring the best out of Werner in the way that he has with other players through his motivational methods and so on. So I do, I do think this is very much manager-driven. Let's get the panel's views on Timo Werner. I was reading earlier on on Wikipedia. I, I have no shame in, in saying that. Nicknamed Turbo Tim. Have you ever known him as Turbo Tim? Personally, no. No? No. But it is a big part of his game, his his speed. But there has been a lot of focus on his goals, in particular his lack of goals at Chelsea. And I just wanted to run through the, the stats on him, just to give a bit of context to his career. 95 in 159 at RB Leipzig before he joined Chelsea. Then he scored 23 in 89 at Chelsea. And since he's left Chelsea back at Leipzig, it's 18 in 54. 
Spurs fans obviously have had mixed reaction to the signing. Some questioning his quality, his suitability. Can he be the perfect fit for Spurs? Let's get your view, first of all, Seb, on him as a player and his suitability to Spurs. I think the first question is what he doesn't do, Adam. And he's not a natural goal scorer. He's not really a natural winger. I think the best way to look at him is as a bundle of attributes. What does he do with the ball? What does he allow you to do as a team? What does he have that Tottenham don't? And clearly pace, dynamism, we've talked about that. He is a, an acceptable finisher. His goal tally in Germany before he, he moved to the Premier League in 2020, if you track it against his expected goals rating, it was almost precisely on the money. So you can probably describe him as someone who scores the goals he probably should do. Now, Less so at Chelsea, clearly, because um, we all remember that period of his career. But in terms of what Spurs have across their forward line, so Richarlison, a bit more of a kind of traditional number nine, Kulisewski, comfortable from the right, has had a, you know, a really good couple of turns in the middle as a kind of a mobile number 10. But I think there's a little bit of hesitation and conservatism within that forward line, which manifests when... They break out of defense, they counter, they're really quick and vertical through the first 60 yards, but then have a little bit of hesitation and, and there might be the occasional ball in field or, you know, a check back inside, a safe moment that, that prevents them from exploiting space properly. Werner feels like a response to that. He feels like a, a little bit more a determination just to go forward, a bit more south to north. And so I, I kind of like it. I, I, I think also the difference, and Liam will speak to this more, is that he's not coming to the Premier League for £50 million this time. There's no expectation of uh, him being a transformative goal scorer. People know what his flaws are as well, which makes a huge difference to a player. Liam, obviously Seb's been looking at it through a sort of a bit of a German lens. You're looking at it purely through a Chelsea lens. Do you fear for Spurs having Werner in their side or do you think, hang on a minute, maybe he might click? No, I think he can certainly be useful to them. He was useful at Chelsea. You know, I must confess, I didn't hear the name Turbo Tim rattling around <laughs> Stamford Bridge, but there was no denying his game-changing and at times game-breaking speed. Um, and it always had to be accounted for. That was the thing about, about Werner. When he was in the team, he stretched the game by his mere presence. The other, the defenders had to react to what he was doing, even if what he was doing was not particularly subtle and not always particularly effective. And it did create space for others. I remember him being particularly important to Chelsea's victories over Manchester City in the latter half of the season, culminating in the Champions League final in Porto in 2021, where he doesn't get an assist for Kai Havertz winning goal, but he probably deserves one because his decoy run drags Ruben Diaz out of position, creates a sea of space through the middle. And that was just one example of the value that he provided beyond scoring goals. And that was just as well because he didn't score that many goals, certainly not as many as Chelsea expected him to when they signed him. And that, I think, as Seb alludes to, is the, the key difference here. Chelsea were buying him thinking they were getting one of the elite goal scorers in Europe. And looking at his record the season before he arrived, you could see why they arrived at that conclusion. But I thought Seb put it really well in his piece up on The Athletic that that RB Leipzig team were essentially a, a really high-functioning machine. And he was the, the cog in that machine that was responsible for scoring goals, but he was just a cog. And Chelsea maybe thought he was more than he turned out to be. Video analysis is obviously a big part of recruitment. And that will have been part of Spurs' um, analysis of where Werner can fit in. 
obviously they won't have been watching the, the video compilations that we see online on social accounts, which basically just catalogue his, well, rather embarrassing misses at times. Do you think that that perception of, of Werner is is too cruel and maybe this might be an opportunity for him to hopefully right some wrongs on, on a human level? I think it's always cruel when a player becomes a banter player, which is clearly what, what happened during the course of Werner's time at Chelsea. You know, he became a running joke for for fans of other clubs. What I don't know the answer to is how much that has impacted him mentally. Does he have scars about his time in English football because of that? Does he come back here with a point to prove? Frankly, I think the fact that he has jumped at this opportunity to come back and play in the Premier League, knowing that he is a punchline to jokes, does probably speak quite well of his character because it might have been easier for him to, you know, find another club in the Bundesliga or elsewhere in Europe. I'm sure there's lots of other teams who take him. But I hope that his it hasn't kind of shattered his confidence in such a profound way that he won't be able to, to get it back. Why is he available? Because I think that's probably important to to add to the the mix. Yeah, well, I mean, actually, it's quite simple, Adam. He's not playing for RB Leipzig. Obviously, he signed to play for Tedesco, who left his job six weeks after Werner re-signed for Leipzig. Uh, now plays for Marco Rosa. Now, because of the renewal that's occurred at RB Leipzig over the past 18 months, his position has become almost obsolete. So... At the end of his first season, Christopher Nkunku left, Dominique Sobosly left, uh, Josko Guardiol left. Over the summer, in came Luis Appenda, Benjamin Sesko, uh, both of whom are better suited to playing the front two uh, for Marco Rosa, new head coach. Um, Javi Simons has come in as a number 10. Danny Olmo is playing as number 10. So if you think about Werner's role in a potential, in, in, a, in a 4-2-2-2 system, his skills don't really owe him a place, if that makes sense. So, um, as a result of which, and he's had a couple of injuries too, out of the German national team since the summer of 2023. Now, even though Hülen Nagelsmann's been appointed, under whom Werner played brilliantly well and really earned his move to Chelsea in the first place, still, players like Chris Furyk from Stuttgart are preferred. Obviously, uh, Serge Gnabry is still an option, even though his career's had a little bit of a downturn too. And it's an interesting point because... Yes, he could have had a look around the Bundesliga for another club, but most clubs in Germany are buy to sell, buy to, to profit, flip a player. Timo Werner is now 27. There's no real clamor around him in Germany in terms of what he could be. I think people see him as a good to very good player. He's not an exceptional one. I don't think he's going to appreciate and value anytime soon. And so if you look at the clubs who might buy him, it's not going to go to Dortmund. There's no space for him in their formation. Uh, not going to go to Bayern Munich because there's no there's no need. Um, there's no there's no space for him to fill. So Eintracht Frankfurt, Bayer Leverkusen, Stuttgart. These clubs don't have a either he doesn't suit their business model or he wouldn't earn a place in their side. And so I think a lot of this is where do I fit in? And one of the reasons I think that Poster Cogley Spurs is such an attractive option is because look at the amount of players who are whose worst traits or whose less than best traits are being kind of isolated and kind of hidden by Postacogli's system. Attacking players are really profiting under him and Werner sees this as, I guess, a way back into the German national team. Also, a way to kind of um, separate himself from some of the kind of the compilations and discussions that happened the first time he was in England. You're listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. 
Hello there, James Richardson here. If, like me, you take an interest in the continental version of the beautiful game, then you should check out the Totally Football Show European Edition. Every Tuesday, I'm joined for the show by James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Julian Laurence, and Alvaro Romeo as we cover all the big European stories. Expect all the footballing insight you need on the Totally Football Show European Edition, which you can enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to check out video versions of the show over on our YouTube channel. Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I host the Weekend Preview for The Athletic Football Podcast and I got panned for talking about um, Tottenham being like the repair shop, which for people who aren't familiar is when they take old furniture in and repair them, polish them up and make them good again. And this feels like, as you were alluding to there, that this might be another repair shop job done by Ange Postacoglu. And it's interesting talking about the the option that Spurs may have at the end of the season, the option to buy around about 13 to 17 million pounds, we understand, which is what, 16 to 22 million dollars, if I remember correctly. Um, and Tottenham are covering Werner's full salary for the duration of the loan. I just wanted to rewind back to when he arrived at Chelsea, and he said in an interview, Werner, that the 2020-21 campaign was the unluckiest season he's ever had. Do you make your own luck in this world, or does he have a point? You know, this he was immersed in, in VAR's early incarnation, and can you see where he was coming from? Yeah, there are probably a handful of players in the world that have been penalised as much by <laughs> the onset of millimetre offside as, as Timo Werner. Um there were a couple of his misses that season that were freakish. Uh, the one that I think comes to mind for a lot of Chelsea fans was like a double miss against Leeds where he cleared the ball off the line and then managed to hit the ball off the goalkeeper and over the bar from a yard out. There were definitely chances that you think, you know, 99 times out of 100, he would probably score those. Um, and Chelsea got the worst case scenario of his finishing. But 
And I think Seb will be able to back this up. His finishing has always been quite high variance from season to season. He had two hot seasons in, in Germany and two quite cold ones where his big chance conversion was actually quite similar to what it was that season at Chelsea. So he's probably saying what he feels, understandably. And I think he's thinking of certain moments. But overall, I think Chelsea probably got the version of Timo Werner, not the version they were expecting, but the version that's closer to the reality of what he is as a finisher. And the contrast between Lampard and Tuchel in terms of how they used him and maybe uh, his suitability to their styles, how would you compare? Well, Lampard was trying to figure out a lot in the first half of that season because he was given Werner, Havertz, Ziyech, and in particular Werner and Havertz had thrived being put in almost bespoke roles in their teams in Germany that didn't really have clear parallels in what Chelsea were doing at the time. So he was trying to make Werner work with Tammy Abraham at times in a front two, at times he was putting Werner on the left. Um, he never really got to play in that kind of second striker role that he had at RB Leipzig so well. Um, and then Tuchel came in and I think the switch to a back three was also about those wide attacker positions um, and Werner most often played there but with license to really stretch the game and that suited him for a while and I think his he probably had the best six months of his Chelsea career in Tuchel's first six months but even then there were signs that Tuchel was not particularly trusting of him I think that was true to an extent of all of Chelsea's attackers at the time but there was a video quite early on in a Covid era match of Tuchel ranting at Werner in German from the touchline, which was obviously very audible with no fans in the stadium. That, that went that's his way with a lot of players, isn't it? Yes, and it ended up alienating pretty yeah. much all of the attackers in that squad. So uh, Werner was not alone, but it was notable that he was substituted in the Champions League final in Porto after Tuchel was seen to be getting a bit frustrated with him. And then the next season, he started barely half of the Premier League games. Um, Tuchel just decided he wasn't having him, basically. And um, and as soon as Werner realised that the situation with Tuchel wasn't going to improve, I think he was even more proactive than some of Chelsea's other attackers in pushing his way out which I think in some way speaks well of him because he was earning a big salary at Chelsea. It would have been quite easy for him to um, just stick around. I think he left money on the table to go back to RB Leipzig to try and revitalise his career. Clearly hasn't worked out that way, but I think Tottenham are getting a player who's still very keen to prove himself. Do you think there were moments at Chelsea when, even if he wasn't scoring goals, because of his pace, he actually made the whole team look better? Because I, yeah. I, I only watch Chelsea on TV, obviously, but I remember thinking that once or twice watching them because he would the way he would terrify defences. Definitely. And in, in particular, his, his ability to stretch the game and push defences back because they were scared of playing too high against him created spaces between the lines for the likes of Mason Mount, Kai Havertz, Hakim Ziyech. And it did help Chelsea in, in what they were trying to do. He's also a very willing presser um, and fit really well into Tuchel's pressing system, which was probably the the biggest key to their Champions League triumph. So he, he was a productive player, albeit not in the bottom line aspect that Chelsea were really hoping for from him. It's interesting you mentioned about the, the relationship between Tuchel and, and Werner. I was reading an interview with, with him and he was talking about um, he didn't. He didn't want to say too much, but he was talking about the potential move to Liverpool prior to to joining Chelsea and how Jurgen Klopp had liked him since he was at Stuttgart before. Could have taken him to to Dortmund and things like that. And he was speaking about how Jurgen Klopp is the sort of guy that he is, the arm around the shoulder sort of bloke that he is, and and being quite clear and um, concise in his instructions and getting everyone on board. Do you think that? 
Ange is that that guy as well, and he'll be able to strike a chord with with Werner. Yeah, it's interesting that I think I think you probably can draw some parallels between Klopp and Ange in terms of in terms of how they they deal with players. I think the thing is I don't actually know I don't know Werner at all really, so I can't I can't speak to what sort of motivational tactics would work on him. But I do know is that what Ange is clearly very good at is creating an environment where players feel like they can succeed at I mean he's not a huge arm round the shoulder guy, I don't think, but he's very good at knowing what the right words are, knowing what the right yeah, the the right environment is to try to allow players to feel a bit more free to express themselves. Football chemistry is such a difficult thing to predict in advance that you never know which players are going to flourish in one environment or you know, sometimes you'll get a situation where you're convinced that a player's going to go somewhere and flourish and they don't. Um, but yeah, I, I I guess all that said, I think I have a little bit of optimism that may maybe that Tottenham environment and maybe and frankly just the positivity from the fans at the moment and all the players pulling in the same direction, maybe that will spark something off in Werner. In terms of the the importance for Werner making this move with next summer in mind, just just explain his um, his mindset thinking about the national team because he's actually got a good record for Germany, hasn't it? What is it? Twenty four goals in 57 caps for his country. Um, so that's that's pretty good. And he wants to get back in the mix because he's not at the moment. Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a little bit of flat track bullying within that, as there sometimes is with international football statistics. Uh, clearly, as a German, he wants to play in a home European championship. I happen to think the chance has already gone for him. I, I don't see a spot for him. I think um, Chris Furyk from Stuttgart is a better player. Uh, Serge Gnabry can play from the left, of course. Leroy Sané could too, if you wanted him to, if you wanted to move him off the right. Uh, I don't think even with Germany's lack of a number nine, which has allowed Nicholas Fulkrug to really become the, the first choice forward for his national team, Kai Havertz can play as a false nine too. Um, that's a different podcast, I suspect. But I don't see where Werner fits in but this puts him in the conversation in a way that I think in Germany playing for Erbe Leipzig is is a strange thing because you don't get a lot of media attention if you don't play for Bayern Munich or to a certain extent Borussia Dortmund you don't anyway but Leipzig aren't a um, beyond kind of what they represent in the societal sense football society sense they don't attract a lot of attention for their football um, players who play there aren't in the media glare but he'll want to be there because it'll be his only chance. This is really, I suspect, his last chance to play in an international tournament. Also, his last chance to to reclaim a certain status within the game. Because he fails at Tottenham. There aren't many other stops of that level. He's tried Chelsea, tried Tottenham. He won't come back to England at the same level if he ever does again, if he doesn't succeed here. One final question to, to Liam on, on Werner, because I wanted to get stuck into what Spurs might do in addition to him in the, in the transfer window. But it's interesting, Seb mentioned about the move from RB Leipzig. Do you think he suffered because the spotlight was so intense at Chelsea and that's something that could return at Spurs? Or do you think just naturally as you get older, you get to deal with it, you have more tools in your, in your toolbox to be able to deal with the, the, the pressure as everyone talks about? I think he suffered from the burden of being the primary scorer or of people expecting him to be the primary scorer in that team. A team that, as I mentioned, was trying to establish a new ide attacking identity with lots of different parts that didn't necessarily fit cleanly together. He's coming to Tottenham in very different circumstances. I think even in the short term with Son out, he's not going to have that role as 
the singular guy that everyone's looking to to score the goals. They do have Richarlison, who's another player who's been an inefficient scorer over his career, but there are at least two of them <laughs> who can maybe share that responsibility. And, and Tottenham do get goals from other positions as well. Generally, top teams now, I think, the ones that really succeed are the ones that generate chances with their system play. And that's been one of Angie's successes at Tottenham, I think. And, and Werner can benefit from that as much as others can. And there are signs in recent weeks that we've seen Richarlison look like a, a prime number nine scoring the sort of goals that I guess people will hope that Timo Werner could maybe come in as and when needed. Yeah, so he's just coming off his best run for Tottenham. I think he got five and five. But I was at the Spur- Spurs against Burnley in the FA Cup third round last Friday. And they were terrible. Richarlison was not convincing at all up front. Frankly, I watched them and I thought they looked in desperate need of a new striker. They needed an experienced head who can come in, particularly somebody who can run in behind and stretch the game because that's how Tottenham wants to play. Uh, They need someone to take the pressure off uh, Richarlison, take the pressure off Brennan Johnson. And I... This was obviously just a few hours before the Vernon news broke. And then as soon as the Vernon news broke on Saturday morning, I thought, it does kind of make sense. Like, just just from watching Spurs play recently, he is precisely the kind of player who they do need. I mean, you might some people don't think he's good enough, but he does absolutely fit the profile. So it makes sense because he's malleable? No, it makes sense because he's he's played in kind of uh, highly coordinated, high-pressing systems in the past I think he could play you could see him playing on the left or through the middle for Spurs I think he would be well attuned to the pressing demands of Postacoglu um, I think his m- movement off the ball is good and his the, the runs that he makes are exactly the kind of runs that Postacoglu would want his players to make I've seen some people compare him to uh, Dyson Maida who you know, had a huge impact at Celtic after Postacoglu also had him at Yokohama Marinos. So I think there's, I think he does tick a lot of boxes for Spurs and I will expect him, he's quite a kind of plug and play option. I expect him to come straight in and grasp the the outline of what Postacoglu wants him to do very fast. I'm not necessarily expecting him to come in and score 12 Premier League goals between now and the end of May. But I think there's, I think in some in some ways he will be able to fit in quickly and get up to speed fast. It's almost nailed on that he's going to score on the 23rd of February against Chelsea, though. It's, it's sort of almost written that, that that will happen. Um, but just continue on the point that, that Jack made there. Yes, he's he's suitable. He fits the profile of what Spurs want. But just talking more broadly about this transfer window, and it, I suppose it it's similar to what we were talking about on the last episode of this podcast about Arsenal. Should they go for a striker when they're in a position to potentially win the title? Do you think that they would have been best served finding Kane's replacement now or is that too difficult to do? I have issue with the idea of replacing Kane. I don't think you replace a player like that. It's just the the skill set is too unique. The But just going for a bigger ticket bigger ticket striker. Really difficult, Adam, because how if that player is around at the moment and if that player is in form, how do you convince that player's club to say, right, well actually we'll do we'll do without you for the second half of the season? Yeah. Off you go. And I, I think that that's a really difficult negotiation to do. I, I know it steps a little bit beyond the kind of the, the football football manager, FIFA, fancy land of just acquiring footballers. But practically, that's a tough old ask. And I think one of the things I like about this deal is that the finances mean that what well, doesn't preclude you from doing this. Nothing that happens between now and the end of the season, whether Timo Werner scores Jack's 15 goals or scores one, nothing changes the reality. There's no real risk here. And so you're able to continue your recruitment regardless. And I, I think that's one of its great strengths. 
what else should Spurs do now in this in this transfer window? Because you you said that you know you were quite surprised that they've got this bit of business done early, which is good. It clears the way, as Seb was alluding to there. Um, what else do they need? And it, it's a difficult conundrum, isn't it? When you've got players on the sidelines that you're going to be welcoming back, you don't want to replace. You almost want them to come in as supporting roles and to fulfil a, a position until those, you know, a Madison comes back, etc. Yeah, it, you're, you're right. That is a bit of a dilemma. They still do want a, a high-level centre-back, yeah. which I think they need, you know, even even if you've got Romero and van der Ven fit, you do need a third guy who, who can do that, which they, they clearly do not have at the moment. Um, clearly, they've been working on uh, Radu Dragosin of Genoa, uh, but at the time of recording, we it's not quite clear yet what the outcome's going to be there. Um, so if they don't get him, then I imagine they would, well, I'm sure they would have to look elsewhere. And then I guess third on the list, because at the start of the window, three priorities. They wanted an attacking wide player, a centre-back, and a number eight. If they get Dragosin, then that means they would only, they would only be looking at a number eight. And I think in that area, I imagine they would look maybe somebody more like on the Werner profile, as in short-term, experienced, you know, loaner or free, rather than spending bigger money on a younger player. Because as you say, in the second half of the season, hopefully, they will have Benton, Kerr, Bissouma, Saar, Madison, all to choose from. Whilst you're here, Liam, and we're talking Spurs, it would be remiss not to talk just briefly about the Conor Gallagher situation. And I guess for Chelsea fans, they would have been heartened by what Maurizio Pochettino said in his news conference, um, basically saying, we don't have to sell to buy. Do you see that that deal happening in any way, shape or form, that transition from, from Chelsea to Spurs for Gallagher? It can't be ruled out um, because I think the situation with Gallagher has been quite similar for the last two windows, which is that if Chelsea get an offer they like, uh, he he could well be sold. Um, and I think Tottenham was quite close to happening in the last window. It was real serious interest, um, especially towards the latter stages. So the one thing that's changed is that he's got six months less on his contract and there's no significant discussion at the moment about extending. I don't expect that there will be before the end of the the January window because I think Chelsea are keeping their options open Gallagher's keeping his options open he wants to stay at Chelsea that's his preference he wants to be a Chelsea player but he's going to do what what's best for his career ultimately um, and I think the last six months if anything have have strengthened his hand they've been the best of his career so far he's playing every week for Chelsea frequently captain on the pitch and he's in every England squad um, so I think the, the the price Chelsea would be looking at would probably be sort of 45, 50 million. I'm sure Jack would have a better idea than me whether Tottenham could get near that or would be prepared to. I'd be surprised. It's never quite, I'm going to regret saying this, but it's never, it's never quite felt right to me. Like he's obviously, you know, there's obviously a lot to be said for signing him and clearly they did want him in the summer. But right now, I think spending a lot of money on a young number eight because this would be a big chunk of their budget. They'd have to be very creative to get it over the line. It just doesn't... I'm not sure I can quite see it. I think they could do a little bit better for that kind of money. If you were willing to spend that sort of money, I think there's more value to be found elsewhere as sort of a slightly yeah. different profile of player. Because he's not going dis to displace... He's not a six, and he's not going to displace Madison, mm. which means he'd be competing with Saar, who's been phenomenal this season, uh, Benson Kerr, assuming that Bissouma was playing the six... And um, I don't know, is he... I'm I don't think... I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't pick him ahead of Bentancourt. And I, I don't think... I know that uh, Basuma has had some suspension issues, but I, I don't see him as a superior 
player an upgrade or an upgrade at least worth that kind of investment final word on on tottenham huge game on sunday at old trafford and i mean some people will say that manchester united are already cut adrift of the of the top five already they're eight points behind tottenham but this could sort of really cut them adrift couldn't it um if if spurs can go to old trafford and as many people would expect put in a good performance and and win I think Spurs can win, but I'm not that bullish about the Spurs performance simply because they're not playing well at the moment. You know, they haven't been playing well for a few weeks. They look exhausted. Um, they've clearly got lots of injuries, plus they've had suspensions. Now they've got three players away on international duty at the moment. I'm impressed by how they've got over the line in some of their recent games, but I've not really been impressed by the overall performance. So, but then, you know, Manchester United is such a unique opponent at the moment because there's there's clearly so much pressure on the players they look completely shot of confidence there's huge questions about not just the manager but the whole direction of the club under new ownership so I think I think Spurs might be able to nick it but I do think it will be an ugly and not very um, high quality game. Very final final word because we started off obviously the focus of this podcast being on on Timo Werner we don't know if that deal is going to go through before the game at Old Trafford um but if he does play, and if he does make the move to Tottenham, in a word from each of you, will he be a success or a failure? Seb? Success. Liam? Useful, I think, between the two. <laughs> between the two. Okay, and Jack? Uh, I, well, I'm actually really struggling to come up with the one-word answer here. Can I say efficient? Yeah, I'm going to go with efficient. Okay, efficient will do. Uh, if you want a more sort of um, hard-line view on whether... Timo Werner is going to be a, a success or a failure. I do uh, urge you to go and have a listen to the view from the lane and our uh, esteemed colleague James Moore's opinion of the signing. Um, you never know. He may well end up with egg on his face. Who knows, James Moore, but he may well be right. So if you want a little bit more Spurs love or Spurs worry, go and have a listen to a view from the lane, the latest episode. Um, my thanks to Seb, to Liam and to Jack for your time today. Uh, please remember to uh, review Rate the podcast if you're enjoying it, uh, wherever you're listening or if you're watching on YouTube as well. And if you want to join the Athletic family, the current offer is for $2 or £2 a month for 12 months. So take advantage of that at theathletic.com forward slash football pod. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. The Athletic.